0: For over a decade now, Asian carp have threatened the Great Lakes with an invasion that will change the lake's ecosystem forever. One of the many potential solutions to alleviating the crisis is eating them. That is right, eating invasive species, a method called invasivorism. Say it with me now, Invasivorism. it's a trend that's growing in the U.S., but is uh, uh, is it a real solution? That's the question. Is it a real solution to preventing Asian carp from spreading to the Great Lakes? Culture Shifts. Amanda Leclaire spoke with Andrew Reeves, the author of a new book called Overrun: Dispatches from the Asian Carp Crisis. About that, and what you can do to help. Giant jumping fish. It's a familiar sight here of the waters leading towards Lake Michigan. They're called Asian carp. Well, The state is trying to figure out how to get rid of a nuisance that's rapidly taking over its rivers and streams. Asian carp are a problem all over the Midwest. Asian carp aren't just in Kentucky waterways, they are flourishing being netted by the thousands and thousands of pounds on each and every haul. A live Asian carp was found less than 10 miles from Lake Michigan. So it was an idea that really took off maybe around 2010, um, as people slowly came to the realization that species were moving around the planet in ways that we couldn't really possibly comprehend. And one of the things uh, is that most of the species that have moved around are eaten in their native range in a lot of cases, not all, but in a lot of cases. And so there were a movement maybe in around 2013 to really look at some invasives that could potentially be tasty. And one of those that people started turning their attention to was Asian carp, uh, big head, silver, and grass carp in particular. Given that, they are so popular in their native range in China that despite the fact that Asian carp are a bit of a scourge here, they're an endangered species in their native range, which seems almost sort of comical in a way given the problem that we're having with them here. But one of the reasons why there are so few left of them is because they have been harvested so successfully in China because they are such a delicacy in a lot of ways. So the question that I've gotten a lot on the book tour has been, well, again, can we can we eat them to, to solve this problem? And the short answer is yes, but the longer answer is probably not. Uh, they taste totally fine. They're a, a lake white fish. They will taste uh, like whatever you want to season them at. So I often say that they taste a lot like tofu in as much as whatever flavors you add to them is basically what they're going to taste like. But the problem that we get into is the fact that fishermen are paid so little for them. And so they don't have much of an incentive to catch them. America has actually outsourced an awful lot of its fish processing capacity to other countries. So we don't really have that ready-made market to take a raw fish and turn it into fish sticks that you'd find in the frozen food aisle. And so people come back to this idea all the time, but the reality is after two or three decades of trying to figure it out, the logistics just haven't worked. So we don't have the system in place to fish at the rate that would be needed to do anything significant about the Asian carp problem. Well, actually, the fishing is actually the least of our worries, really. Uh, Since 2013, I believe, the Illinois uh, Department of Natural Resources has been paying commercial fishermen $2,500 a week to go out to certain stretches of the Illinois River and basically just fish them down just as hard as they can to remove as many as they can. And in those five, six years, they've removed about 7 million pounds of them. And so it's actually done a tremendous job to reduce the pressure on the electric barriers in Chicago, which are one of the big things holding the fish back from reaching the Great Lakes. The issue really is what to do with those fish once they're in your boat. So all of those commercial fishermen in Illinois, the 7 million pounds that they've removed, have been turned into fertilizer. So, which is useful in a lot of ways but if we're talking about creating like a value added product on the other end it's sort of fallen on its face because the economics haven't really added up plus a lot of biologists are really worried that if you create a market for an invasive species people in parts of America where there aren't Asian carp might say hey wait a minute Mm -hmm. there's an opportunity to make some money on this and they will risk violating federal law and becoming a felon to move the fish to new places if they think they'll be able to make money on it so by creating a market we do run the Risk of maybe making it worse, and that's the last thing anybody wants to do. Absolutely, we're, yeah. Okay, so we're already in a, in a pretty delicate situation as far as the Asian carp species movement goes. What are the elements that could possibly make it even worse? One of the the big ones is climate change, and it's such an overarching idea that it seems silly almost to think how something like Asian carp could be be impacted and potentially made an awful lot worse by climate change. But one of the the theories that has been sort of kicked about that I explored in the conclusion of Overrun is the idea that across the Midwest and the large parts of the Great Lakes Basin, we're seeing that uh, extreme rainfall events are happening more and more frequently. So some places are getting upwards of 30 to 40 percent of their annual rain falling in 24 to 48 hours. Well, where does that rain land? If it's landing on a major urban area like Chicago, for example, it's hitting impermeable pavement. It is then flowing into sewers that can't handle that amount of rain, combining in their combined sewer overflows with raw human sewage and getting dumped into local waterways. Or it's landing on farmer's fields. Now, farmers have done a great job of reducing the amount of fertilizer that they plant on their, they're placing on their fields. But with huge rainstorms like that, it's washing all of that into rivers. And we also have to look at what we've done to our rivers. We've largely drained a lot of the wetlands. We've made them shorter, deeper, faster. And so what happens when that, oh, that confluence of events? Well, you end up finding rivers that are now full of plant material, which is basically creating a buffet for Asian carp. And so they use that fast-moving water as a spawning cue. There's plenty of tributary rivers for them to find where they can lay their eggs to have them hatch. And with those blooms in plant material after those heavy rainfall events, they have more food than they can possibly get. So one of the conclusions I draw in the book is we can think as long as we like about eating them as a way of solving the problem or paying commercial fishermen as a way to to produce the numbers. But at the end of the day, if we really don't start addressing these larger, more systemic issues like climate change and urban design and how we grow our food, we'll never really be able to get a handle on the crisis in the way that we actually need to. And what is the one thing that the average person could do? Well, one of the things that I would say average people can do is... Any decision that is going to be made about how to stop climate change is likely going to require an awful lot of political action. And it seems these days, probably most days, politicians usually tend to be fairly motivated by the calls that they're getting at their constituency offices, the the, the letters that people write to them, the phone calls that their office gets, the emails that are sent. Any solution that is going to require changes to infrastructure on our rivers is going to require the Army Corps of Engineers to take action, and the Army Corps takes their directive from Congress. So one of the things I've been thinking that people can do if they wanted to to feel like they're being proactive about this is to call their congressperson and to say, what exactly are we doing about this, and to press them on the idea of what more can we be doing. There are an awful lot of really valuable scientific solutions to this problem that we've tested in lab but when scientists then come to the government to say can we test this out in the field to see whether it really works they meet an awful lot of either outright science skepticism or they meet a lot of resistance from risk-averse politicians who don't want to take a chance on something and attach their name to it if it might not succeed. So one of the things i think people can really do is get in touch with their local representatives and press them on this ask those tough questions about what are we doing about this and what more can we be doing That was Andrew Reeves, the author of a new book called Overrun, Dispatches from the Asian Carp Crisis. Speaking, of course, with our own Amanda LeClaire from Culture Shift. As we are moving into the waning minute.